we are back. Welcome back. It's another episode of Horror Cats and Witch Hats with Katie and Izzy. And, uh, well, we got a, we got a good one for you, but, like, it's a continuation. <laughs> we finally made it to the newer ones of Halloween. 2018, which still seems like it was so long ago at this point. <laughs> I know. We skipped, obviously, like, the H2O timeline, but that's because this is the beginning of the newer movies that come out. And so I just wanted to skip those and get to this one. It's its own timeline. Yes. My kitten is dying outside of the door. She really wants into the room right now. <laughs> Anyways, and... Halloween 18. Let's do this. Yeah. So it is the 11th movie in the franchise. That's it... a lot of movies. I know. I... You know what's wild, though? I didn't look, but I'm sure Jason has almost twice that by the time this movie Oh, 100%. 100%. Jason has ridiculous amounts of movies that should never have been made. Just saying. <laughs> I mean, <gasps> arguable to this franchise as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. It's a direct sequel to the original John Carpenter's Halloween in 1978, so it ignores all the other what nine movies in between yeah they, they they basically went back to the original movie cut it at the very end of that and was like all right fuck everything that's behind this right now those never existed we're gonna pretend like that was just never a fucking thing and we're gonna take off from where this ended and do this the right way i love the way that they show you that throughout the movie as well um right they're far more subtle than previous movies mm-hmm and this movie continues the story 40 years after the fateful Halloween night when the boogeyman was born. So in this da, da, movie, da, da, da. not only did it come out in 2018, but it is set in the year 2018. Yes. Which was I thought was really cool. Well, the 1978 version was also set in 1978. So. Yeah, it was, so it was like a set. It's a present day film. And so it's nice that like after 40 years they're finally like taking it back and being like okay this is how it's gonna be done 40 years later all of that shit didn't doesn't happen <laughs> i approve and it was pre-pandemic mm -hmm. so you don't have to watch a movie with people in masks and stuff <laughs> that, well, that too there's a person what? in a mask but yeah. right but that mask ain't gonna stop coronavirus i'll tell you that <laughs> Uh, the fact that nobody wants to come within six feet of him might. <laughs> you know, you're right. I take that back. Yeah. 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 Yep. You. Yeah. I stand corrected. Uh, this is also the first film since Halloween 1 and 2 where John Carpenter is involved. Yeah. Like, like hands on, which is kind of cool. He's, uh. He's the executive producer and the creative consultant for this film, which I'm really glad they did and went back to him because... Even when, like, the second was created, he was like, this shouldn't be done. I think he also, again, helped with the score for this movie. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> I think he came on and was like, listen, if you want some help doing the score, like, I can remaster the old one or we could make a new one. And then it turned into kind of just like, yeah, I'm just going to do it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Pretty much. And... Those who decided to bring the brilliant John Carpenter back was none other than Blumhouse Productions. Thank God. They're... Blumhouse, thank you. That's all I got to say. Thank you. You create great movies and, you know, I'm... I enjoy Blumhouse Productions. So thank you for, you know, being um, amazing. And 
John Carpenter had been trying to get the franchise back since like the fourth or fifth or sixth movie. One of those. One of those. Yeah. (laughs) And so before Blumhouse actually got the rights, the group that had it previously, um, that it's just, I just forgot. I think it's the Akkad Mustafa group. They were working on another movie, a Halloween movie, but it just like never got put together or something. Or there was like two or three movies they were tossing around with Halloween. Something to that effect. They hmm. fucked up. They lost the franchise. Blumhouse fucked <laughs> up. Thank God. Uh, just in case you haven't listened to us rave about Blumhouse before, they are the ones who gave us Paranormal Activity, Insidious, Sinister, The Purge, Oculus, Get Out, Happy Death Day, etc. That- etc. The new Purge movie that's coming out, Purge Forever, looks awesome, and I'm excited for Listen, it. Listen, I have never watched a Purge movie, but I saw the, not the interview, but what is it called? I do this every time. The, the trailer? Yeah. The <laughs> trailer. For, I almost called it a prequel. The interview? Nope, that's, are you it's interviewing literally, the trailer? It's literally them just returning back to what normal life is now. So... I don't get the premise, but again, I've never seen all the other ones. The Purge is a messed up movie. It's a messed up timeline. It's it's a great idea. It's a scary idea, but I'm just letting you know, like, The Purge is a scary situation that... It's almost like um, The Handmaid's Tale. You know how a lot of people are like, oh, The Handmaid's Tale could be a, come a, like a real thing? The Purge, if our nation were to go super fucking crazy, would. No, it wouldn't. It requires too many people to follow the rules. But that's the thing is they're not rules. There's no rules for 12 hours in of one single day. That's one day, Katie. One yep. day. People can't even wear a mask for five minutes and follow those rules. <laughs> they're okay, not well, going to follow the rules 364 <laughs> in 12 hours out of the year. <laughs> Maybe taking that time to kill all those people might help. It's... I don't know. I it's I like the movie premises of it, but I also only like the first one and then i'm curious to see about this new one because the second one didn't make sense it's literally them just saying oh no the purge is no longer a thing we can murder whenever which is what it is now so it's just them turning back into what it is now but anyway (laughs) we digress back to halloween uh so blumhouse according to wikipedia (laughs) oh okay (laughs) Uh, last year, they released 12 movies, including Freaky, which we've talked about, The Craft Legacy, which I haven't seen, but I really want to. I haven't to. either. It's just not free anywhere. <laughs> I, I'm super skeptical about it, though, I, so we'll see. <laughs> I am, too, which I think is why I really haven't looked that hard into getting it. it yeah, exactly, because the original was so perfect. I tend not to like remakes of Agreed. movies, because I feel like a lot of companies are just fishing and playing on our nostalgia, and yep. it doesn't necessarily work. But they also did The Invisible Man. So, Have you seen that one? Nope. That one was an interesting one for sure. They took that in a really interesting, more technological way, which was kind of cool. So, It's on the list. It is. <laughs> and it looks like they, they also kind of do some like true crime uh, documentary kind of stuff. Oh, that's cool. And I think they, if I read it right, have a plan to do a TV series about Brittany Murphy, like a limited series. Oh, interesting. Yeah. About just like about her death and like kind of what happened and what went down. I imagine it will be like most true crime series where it talks about her life leading into 
the death and then like all the wildness that happened there and after it's a mystery yeah. it's, if you don't know her story or the story around it um uh, go listen to something about it yeah it's weird yeah i had no idea because <laughs> i really liked her but anyways the director for this movie is also doing Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends, which I think will be one of the first times in Halloween history. When... They actually have the same director yes. <laughs> throughout. I don't think they've done that Woo-hoo! since Halloween 1 and 2 when it was John Carpenter and Deborah Hill. That, or, or Halloween 1 and 2 when Rob Zombie decided to remake, but again, that was only 1 and 2. Oh, yeah. So I'm glad they're taking this in a whole, like, we have the first one, we're going to create the rest. And so this is going to be a good idea to have three by the same director. I like that kind of continuity Mm -hmm. he has also authored a book called the legend of halloween which i have no idea what it is there's also another book that's like 500 pages long that i saw came out in 2019 and it is about all of the unwritten scripts of halloween like all the stories they had talked about making but didn't or scripts that just didn't make the cut the reviewer said it was pretty good, but interesting. I don't remember what it was. It's a kids' like. book. The Legend of Halloween. Yeah, it's um a perfect treat for Halloween fans of almost all ages. There's a lot of merchandise, but it's it's an animated like er, animated. It's a cartoon kids' book. Yeah, they. Again, I think it's them just feeding off parental nostalgia. <laughs> but um, I, honestly, I kind of want it. <laughs> it worked. <laughs> That's cool. I didn't even know that existed. Uh, oh, there's a lot of Michael Myers books. Did we even announce the director is David Gordon Green? I think we just started talking about him without saying his name. <laughs> oh yeah, David David Gordon Green. Boom. He has, you yeah yeah he also did uh, Pineapple Express, Your Highness, and The Sitter, which are like really goofy raunchy movies. I fucking love those movies. <laughs> uh, so this was like a different kind of movie it was a whole yeah it's a whole different take but i'm i'm excited because your highness and pineapple express are two of my absolute favorite movies on this planet so he's also announced to do a hellraiser tv series oh andy might be excited about that but he also might be super skeptical because he loves hellraiser (laughs) i know nothing about it or like the storyline but we'll have to watch it because it's a great movie i mean i was talking about the tv series i know well definitely i'm gonna watch it andy's gonna make me watch it if i whether i like it or not my fiance will make me watch that tv series unless he hates it uh blumhouse has also picked him up to do a remake of the exorcist Ooh, which i think comes out next year that's exciting maybe but the interviews from david gordon green um he is definitely into he like enjoys broadening his Oh, sorry, I have the hiccups. <laughs> so from the interviews I've seen with David Gordon Green, he likes to expand his horizon. So the fact that he went from like super raunchy comedy to this incredible horror. Halloween horror movie. Yeah. Is not only impressive, but like it makes sense when you read his quotes and things like that. And he also says things like, I will never do a movie that like doesn't interest me. So if i'm not which i don't think it it, yeah i'm gonna do it 
if a director is not excited about the movie they're gonna do it's gonna turn out to be a very shitty movie like there's no passion in it they weren't excited um, look at what happened what do you know and then so go ahead so the writers for this are obviously david gordon green i don't know why i want to call it dayton but it's david gordon green uh and jeff uh jeff fradley I think Fradley and then none other than Danny McBride, which I think is very interesting that he's a part of the writing on this because he's he's known as a very um, comedic actor who's in, you know, Pineapple Express and Your Highness and stuff. Now let's get into the cast because we all know the top person who's in this cast. <laughs> who is that? Oh, it's Jamie Lee Curtis, of course, who comes back as Laurie Strode because um, you have to have the main character who survives from the very first one with the proper actress. And she, as we've talked about before, she does love this series and she w- she was happy to come back. So, you know, there's that. I like that she even did the exact same hairstyle. I know. The... But she looks amazing in this movie. So, yeah. And then we have uh, Judy Greer, who is known as Karen, which is Laurie Strode's daughter. You know her from a lot of things, including 27 Dresses, 13 Going on 30. Uh, She's also the mom in the Jurassic World movies, or the first one. Um, She's in something else that I just saw, and now I can't put a name to it. She's kind of a a lot of, like, side parts. I can't think Mm -hmm. of anything where she, that I've seen that's big, where she was center stage but she's good that's not she's good. a great yeah she's a great actress her, so. her acting yeah, <laughs> right just but, saying no but she is a great actress and then karen's daughter and laurie strode's granddaughter is played by andy matichak who is allison i didn't really recognize much of the other stuff that she had been in will Patton okay. plays deputy frank hawkins and he is the coach from remember the titans which is the only thing i will ever remember he's in and he's i think he's also the sheriff in encounter of the fourth kind fourth uh fourth encounter of oh wait encounter of the fourth kind first encounter of the third kind close encounters of the third kind god damn it my dumb ass there we go close encounters of the third kind okay now that we're on top of things and i actually remember what fucking movie that is even though my dad and i used to watch it when i was a child it's been a long time. I need to watch that again. Uh, Rian Reese plays Dana Haynes, which is one of the podcasters, investigator mm-hmm. ladies, peoples. Yep. Halleck Bullinger plays Dr. Sartain. He's had 18 wins and 12 nominations throughout his career. He's Turkish, and I think it's some of his wins and stuff come from foreign films or non-english uh, films but you want to know what i knew him from immediately the minute i saw his face i went oh it's the poacher from Ni- mighty joe young i could be wrong but it looks like him that's for sure i was convinced it was him maybe i'm wrong bill paxton i was wrong that's red day serbizija oh can't say that last name <laughs> I was wrong. It's not the same person. I was totally convinced it was, but it's not. So when they both have facial hair, they look similar. Yeah. They have similar And he has facial hair in the movie. And so I was like, oh, it's him. I was wrong. I take that back. It's been four years that I've been convinced it was that person. Nope. Yeah, I was like, I don't think so. I stand corrected. 
Anyways. Uh, Toby Huss plays Karen's husband, Ray. Virginia Garden plays Vicky, the friend and babysitter of... Uh, friend of Allison and then babysitter of a kid in the neighborhood. Right. Virginia, I just said that. And then The Shape is played by none other than Nick Castle from the original Halloween. And As it should be. James Jude Courtney. That's a new name. How many names is that to the Michael Mike to, to who's played The Shape? Of the uh, is movies that seven? we covered, I think that's like seven or eight. Yeah, something like that. I think James Jude Courtney did the stunts for like the stunt uh, parts of it, while Nick oh, okay. Castle played the like non mask parts where he's in the psychiatric facility and the just okay. general walking parts. Yeah. I think that's how they split those two up. That makes sense, though. I am super glad they didn't try to rewrite Dr. Loomis or bring in somebody else to play Dr. Loomis. It would have been the same. No. I'm sure John Carpenter, being a friend of Dr. Loomis, would have fought that tooth and nail. Right. So this movie, um, it actually won three awards and it got 28 nominations, which doesn't surprise me at all it's a really great movie but um the wins were for best actress for jamie lee curtis of course she deserves that <laughs> then of course best score because as we talked about before their scores are pretty damn good especially like in the first one it was pretty good very basic but and then it also has the best cd which i'm like is that soundtrack cd like a cd Oh, Listen, okay. I know you're young, but you're not that fucking young. No, you no, 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 no. Okay, no. I know what a CD. <laughs> I know what a CD is, but I didn't realize that there's like an award for best CD. Well, so these are when we say people have like three wins and twenty eight nominations. It's from like every multiple different things, but yeah, possible award ceremony in movie history that could happen. I'm curious. I'm so, so curious where that where it comes from, though. Then like. So, and what are what are the allegations of that? How do you have the best CD? I want to know this. Uh, Rondo Hatton Classic Horror Awards Best CD. Hmm. Yeah, see, it's just like random miscellaneous little ones. It's very random. All right, but uh, so the story for Halloween twenty eighteen Blumhouse Productions. The year start twenty eighteen. Forty years after Haddonfield. After, well, okay, after the initial Haddonfield murders. Right. It starts out with two true crime podcasters traveling to Smith's Grove Sanitarium with hopes to interview Michael Myers before he gets transferred to the more secure facility where they kind of mention being just like the worst place on the planet to ever be locked up. And it's called Glass Hill. Yeah. They... <laughs> provide like a little bit of a rewrite and explanation as to where the first movie left off and where this one picks up like all the other ones do but this one's a little more subtle uh they explain that myers was captured after dr loomis shot him off of the balcony at the tommy doyle's house that's mm -hmm. where it was they meet with dr sartain who was a student of loomis and took over primary care of Michael Myers when Dr. Loomis died in the 90s, it says, which was true to true life as well. Yep. Throughout this film, they do offer little snippets that serve to either dispel previous theories and timelines or to add and confirm to them, which I think is mm -hmm. a really genius thing that they did, and I liked it. Especially being well, that... 
It's a smart play. But yeah, it's and it's fun because it plays off of like real fans who have watched every single movie up until now and yeah. Like, and and they point out all the uh, inconsistencies and all the things that just don't line up. And and it's nice to have that actually go back and be correct corrected. Yeah, and you're hearing it and you know because John Carpenter is a part of this that it's his you're like that's plan. he said it was okay yeah. so he has the right to say this yeah this is canon <laughs> yeah exactly so for example uh dr sartain says my cat is rubbing up on the microphone <laughs> says that michael is fully aware and capable of speaking he just chooses not to because some of the, a lot of the theories we talked about were that he couldn't for some reason or he was like an alien or kidnapped i don't know weird stuff yeah yeah but he can he just simply chooses not to yeah which thank you for finally giving us an actual explanation of that one because we had like what four different theories on why he couldn't speak of that sort and they're like three of them were mental illness in the brain (laughs) yeah so they there you go they knock out all that stuff they being the true crime podcasters decided it would be a great idea to pull out the quote unquote original michael myers mask that they pulled from evidence somewhere and yeah shove it into his face as a hope to like manipulate him into talking and he does not give them any reaction and to be honest i was kind of happy because i hated the podcasters (laughs) well yeah i did too like why are you going to talk to this person who hasn't talked in 40 years he's obviously not gonna fucking talk to you secondly how the fuck did you get the mask out of fucking evidence lockers and things like that they know somebody who's works in the attorney's office or something like that okay but secondly why would a doctor actually allow you to take that kind of a triggering object into somebody who's like this even though he may be chained up but keep that question in your head as we move on it's been in my head for four years my mom's a therapist (laughs) they i hate them because they're like we are unbiased but they're not no unbiased um and like why are you trying to enrage this man just let him be like it's done just let it go Mm -hmm. it's 40 years past (laughs) and then like as soon as they do that and they don't get the reaction they want the opening credits hit and i love that it is like basically the same as the first one but the Mm -hmm. pumpkin is old and like rotting like, you can tell it's starting to deform. It's, it's all, yeah. It's like... It's wonderful. Your pumpkins three days after Halloween. Yeah, it start, it's like, it's um, it's getting wrink, extra wrinkly and it's starting to, like, fold in on itself. I've had, I've literally had a pumpkin, like a jack lantern that I made that, like, ate itself because it all just fell into its mouth. It was really weird. <laughs> How artistic. <laughs> I know, right? And then next, you get introduced to the beautiful Jamie Lee Curtis as Laurie Strode. Where she basically has been living on a compound that she created for herself as like a doomsday type compound. For Dude, she's straight up a doomsday prepper for this man. Like, she knows he's coming back. Yeah, she even has like this fancy hidden underground storage living facility. Mm-hmm. It's, it's intense. Yep. Uh, but she's basically been preparing for the day that Michael Myers will escape for 40 years. That's been her obsession sound a little familiar about obsessions and watching some over somebody or paying attention to somebody for so long (laughs) she basically replaces dr loomis as the character who like completely understands that myers is dangerous and evil 
and no one believes her and they're like he's fine he's locked up and she's like he's going to the sanitarium you're nope. gonna rue the day and she's keeping tabs on this shit she ends up um, go ahead uh, she ends up being interviewed by the two podcasters but only after they offer her three thousand dollars which who wouldn't smart turn girl that down? and then she gives them absolutely nothing because she too thinks it's fucking stupid what they're doing and they try to also enrage a reaction out of her by talking about her past. And they're like, hey, we're unbiased reporters. And we just wanted to mention that we know you've had two divorces and your daughter got taken away from you when she was 12 because you were an unfit mother. And did you ever get her back? And she's like, you fucking already know the answer to that. Get out of my house. <laughs> I like how she immediately just she gets she takes the money first, which was smart. She takes the money first before she does this interview with them and then immediately kicks them fucking out. <laughs> I, it makes me happy that both Michael and Lori were kind of similar in this movie um, where they're both kind of one track minded and tortured in their own ways, but they don't mm -hmm. give them anything. And I love it. Right. This is also where Lori Strode uh, further denounces all of the other timelines saying that Myers has killed five people on Halloween night. So it was it was the one Halloween night he killed five of those people and nothing else happened. And he was taken away and he was locked in the sanitarium for the last 40 years. That's what we know. That's that's what happened, which is nice. So it was a quick, subtle way to be like, this is what happened. And here we are. Done. Yep. He killed five people that one Halloween night and he's locked up. So right after that, this is when you meet Karen, which is Lori's daughter, and Allison, um, and Allison, which is Karen's daughter and Lori's granddaughter. They have no relationship with Lori at this point. Like, sh uh, Karen has so much PTSD from growing up with her that she she wanted nothing to do with her mom, and so she doesn't even like talking to her mom or talking about her, and it's kind of sad. But. And Lori's daughter, Allison, kind of sneaks behind her back and has an open line of communication. I don't want to say it's a relationship, but there's an open line of communication yeah. there, which is cool that she's trying to, like, bridge that gap. Yeah, she wants her grandmother to be around, and her mom is very against it, and her grandmother would like to be around, but she can't change her antics in ways that she knows Karen doesn't like. Yeah, um, she uh, genuinely tries to give it a go and my heart hurts for her in that scene. i know she goes to a family dinner in a public restaurant like this woman yeah. can barely tolerate being anywhere public and you want her to do a family reunion <laughs> in a public yeah. restaurant. and she shows up intoxicated because she's stressed out and agoraphobic in ways and it's it just it hurts my heart because she tries so hard and you know she wants to be there yeah but also she's like i have zero regrets for the way i raised you because uh, you're better off for it yeah you are ready <laughs> she's like you're strong you're tough you know how to handle all this shit you're good so as you, if you picked up from this karen was raised in the, as as a doomsday prepper she was straight up raised to fight and to shoot guns and hide in that hidden basement place like she was trained to a t and she hated it um yeah somebody at some point called social services and that's how they removed karen from the home yeah and according to karen's biography on the halloween fandom wiki page 
She was conceived after Lori had a one-night stand with a random man at a bar. So not Good in job. either of her two divorced relationships, apparently. In earlier right. scripts, she was called Jamie as a rewrite of the version for Jamie Lloyd, who was Strode's mm-hmm. daughter in four, five, and six. Yeah. She also, at one point, was going to be named Shanna, which is only important later. And she is the third child for Lori among all the timelines, but the first one to have no relationship to Michael, if that made any sense. So in the Cult of Thorn timeline, Jamie Mm -hmm. Lloyd. In the H2O timeline, I think it's Danny something. Yeah. Danny Strode. Uh, But this timeline is Karen, and they denounce that there's no familial relationship. Right. They... they kill the whole this is Lori's brother situation that that never existed that was never supposed to be a thing and in the script she being Karen is a child psychologist which makes sense because I'm sure she required a lot of therapy and she wants to help other children in similar situations yeah I feel like her subspecialty is probably like childhood trauma or something I wouldn't be surprised and then um And then for Allison's biography, all it really says is just that she was born in 2001, which she would be 20 this year, but also she's like still a baby. 2000 babies blow my mind. I know. I hate that people can just look at our license and be like, oh, you were born in the 1900s. You're good. You're older than 21. I'm like, what? I never even thought I'm only 26. God damn it. (laughs) No, dude, it happened to me at the liquor store one day. I was handing him my I was handing him my license and he goes, Oh, 19, you're good. And I was like, 19, I'm 26. He goes, No, 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 no. You were born in 1900s. And I was like, Oh my God. It's 21. Oh my God. <laughs> and in that moment, I felt older than I've ever felt in my life. And I'm only 26. So. Yeah, I never even thought of that. Yep, there you go. That's what he thought. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back to happy so. things. Michael. Or sadder things. <laughs> Michael, of course. He somehow manages to crash the bus where he is being transferred with a, some other inmates to Glass Hill. Mm-hmm. And, of course, he escapes. The doctor who insisted on transporting him is injured, but for the most part, he ends up being okay. He's fine. Temporarily. And surprisingly, the police take it seriously right away. And the reason for that is because the responding officer to the bus crash is said to have been the same responding officer 40 years prior and is credited as the one who kept Loomis from murdering Myers, which he regrets later. Interesting. So then Michael ends up at a gas station and and the two podcasters with their box of files on the murder and such. Um, so he they're all together. <laughs> Un- unbeknownst to them. Yeah, they just they are. It's random how Myers just happened to wander by this gas station where they were. And he, there's a scene where the male podcaster is looking at a stranger through a truck, judging them silently. And you can see in the background, it's super blurry, but Mm -hmm. you can see Myers walk by in his white patient uniform. And then the next time you see him, he's wearing somebody else's clothes and dropping a pile of teeth onto the bathroom floor. Yeah, which is really gross. Um, so, 
then he finds his way to Haddonfield. But yeah, he takes out a couple of moms and the, the babysitter that's friends with Karen. Just conveniently gets to Haddonfield and he's like, I'm going to kill a couple of people really fast. We're going to hear there. Boom, yeah, we're done. Kind of <laughs> random. He just like waltzes in and he's is like, I'm just going to murder this lady. And Yeah, he starts going through houses. Although I will say one of them is one of my favorite deaths in this movie. And I, I honestly, besides adding a killer effect and just showing that he's got no motivation, like specific motivation, other than women, I guess. Yeah, Those... baby. I think they tried to make it fully on babysitters at one point, but then. But yeah, he just is evil and that's what they're trying to get across. Yeah, this is, you know, this is where he flexes his artistic muscles and makes some sort of a haunted house with all the corpses. He's like, yeah, look at this shit. And that one over there. And there's that one on the couch. Yeah, I did that. <laughs> Flexes his artistic muscle. <laughs> then Lori finds out that Michael is on the loose because she sees the bus crash on the radio. The radio, the TV. Because they had those in 2018. Mm-hmm. I know things. So then Lori goes to her daughter's house and is like, listen, bitch, shit's about to go down. You be lucky I trade you for this. And they... Dude, also, it's lucky that she's been fucking on top of this shit, been, like, tracking Michael's whereabouts and knew that she was he was getting transferred in the first place. And so she gathers up the family that's there, because Allison's not there, she was out because it's Halloween night, and takes them back to the compound, and the police are all fully aware of what's happening. Surprising, no police office, or no, uh, no police station has been completely murdered and bloodbathed yet <laughs> yeah, apparently Haddonfield police got rewritten and they are competent in this movie yeah they're actually decent cops and then in a motherfucking twist the psychiatrist uh doctor whatever so something says yeah so something ends up helping mm-hmm. michael myers because he's in the car with the officer the officer hits michael myers just like sartain in- Halloween, thank you. And Halloween 2, but it's the real Myers, not some poor pedestrian who gets yeah. mowed over. <laughs> like, fuck! And then I the, had a kid! Sorry. The doctor runs out and is like, you killed him! And then stabs the poor police officer in the neck. And it turns out that Dr. Sartain is trying to help Myers. And this goes back to your original question of why did he let him put the mask in his face? Because he wanted that reaction too. Yes. So, <laughs> doctors. Fucking said, doctors. He is purely driven. His obsession is not necessarily Myers himself, but the evil that drives Myers. He just wants to understand the mechanics. Mm-hmm. And he thinks the only way he can get him to do that is by allowing him to kill people. Which is a terrible. And then, Anyways, yeah, that's dumb. My favorite part of this movie happens. So. Dr. Sartain has Allison and Myers, who's passed out, in the back of the police car, and he's driving it, and he's all, like, yeah, he's like, I got this. He's so I'm giddy. good. Yeah. He's like, it's <laughs> he, gonna he was rid- Yeah. He was ridiculously excited, and you were just like, yeah, you're dumb, dude. And then Michael wakes up, and he doesn't even, like, acknowledge Allison. He might, like, mm-hmm. look at her, I can't remember, but basically he's just like, fuck this guy. And kicks his chair and murders him and it's great i just i loved that he wanted nothing to do with allison because it just showed more that like he's not motivated at all he's just like fuck everybody and i think this part was just meant to 
play on the theory that Dr. Loomis was inadvertently or like intentionally making Myers a murderer via his care that he was giving. Hmm. We kind of talked about it, but I, I denounced it so quickly. We didn't talk about it very much. <laughs> uh, but I think Dr. Loomis clearly wanted Myers dead, which they show through like a recording of some files that the podcasters have where he's like, mm-hmm. he is pure evil. And evil. <laughs> that's the way he says it. It's, <laughs> it's goofy. But yeah, he's like trying to get him murdered like when he's six or something. He's like, no, just murder him and then burn him. And that way he can't come back as a zombie because I think he's undead because I'm Van Helsing and that's what you do with a dead body. And you stab it in the heart with a stake and you cut its head off with some iron and silver. <laughs> and you poke needles in its eyes. Basically, yeah. that's what he was saying. Uh, yeah, he's like, you need to decap- like, you need to like dismember this entire body, in which case it won't come back. <laughs> and then we'll spread his ashes to the four corners of this round earth. This round earth. <laughs> exactly. I still um, maintain that he's Van Helsing. Yeah, that's fair. That's I totally also fair. think that Dr. Sartain helped organize Dr. Uh, Myers' escape. Yeah, we, by, we don't get by the transfer. It. So, But I'm not, I don't think that he told Myers what was going to happen. Um, or if he did, I just picture him being like, listen, I'm your friend. I'm going to help you get out. And Michael Myers We're going to do like, this thing and there. you'll be free. <laughs> and just he's just like mm. staring at the wall. <laughs> In his head, he's like this motherfucker. Little does he know. Really, though. So uh, this is where the ending comes in. It's like this ultimate showdown at the Strode compound where Lori gets to finally say this big fat, I told you so to her daughter, because guess what? Michael's is, Michael's, Michael is back. <laughs> um, and, of course, Michael is still going after Strode. So he's there at the house. And they trap him in the basement. Thingy, thingy. The, the hidden basement that doesn't exist, but exists because it's hidden um and then they set it on fire and run away and i was like fuck yeah finally and that's that's the end and all mm-hmm. three generations get to take a stab at michael and it's great yes yeah, and they do it well there is an alternate ending and this is a script it's like pages of a script that's posted on the halloween fandom wiki mm. and the very first page starts out with allison going for a run and there's a dead dog in a tree so no, nope. they did put that in this movie. That's fucked up. That's so fucked up. And the then it like jumps pages and it goes to the final showdown, which has Lori fighting the shape. Mm-hmm. And she's fighting him head on because she's trying to distract him from Allison, who she's like, run away, save yourself. And Allison, of course, doesn't because she's young and dumb. And the shape actually ends up stabbing her in the chest and then her daughter, Karen, it doesn't say where she was during this fight, but I imagine she got knocked out or something inside. Mm-hmm. Uh, it says she was named Shauna during this version of the script. She opens the door and she has a crossbow. And then it just like jumps scenes to the three women walking along the road. They get a truck. They help uh, Lori climb in. And then they're all snugly in the back of this truck driving off. And then it jumps again back to the shape who is at the compound. And he wakes up, pulls the arrow out of his chest, and he just gets kind of like standing there. And then he goes and leans against a tree and sits down and puts his hand over his wound. And in the script, it says um, his breathing deepens, exhausted, or perhaps his last. So you never fucking know. 
but we do because they already announced two other movies so right exactly so you know it's he's not dead yet but i feel like if you want to have an ominous ending like that or like a questionable ending you can't announce that you have more movies coming no not like that (laughs) but hey this film this film was filmed uh close to you close closer to you than it was to me this time because this movie was filmed in charleston south carolina so it's on your side of the world this time. It's not filmed in, filmed in Utah. It'd be a good way to do fall, fall ones. Oh yeah. And let's talk about the people who got killed. So many people killed. <laughs> uh, so the no. the only one that's before this movie, or in between Halloween seventy eight and twenty eighteen, is Doctor Samuel Loomis, who died of natural causes. Lucky him. <laughs> Probably had a heart attack because of all the damn stress from Michael Myers. You know, that's true, too. So, number one, after, or during Halloween 18, I guess I should say, is the unknown, it's the unnamed bus driver who is killed off screen by Michael Myers when he obviously makes the bus crash. <laughs> Sorry. I think that's an assumption that Michael did it. Because we it don't could see be. it. It could have been Dr. Sartain. Or it could have just been the crash. So, but yeah, continue. Questionable. That one's questionable. Number two, guard Haskell. Haskell? Whatever you say. However you want to say it. He's mortally wounded off screen by Myers. Uh, number three is Warden Coonman. Coonman? Uh, mortally wounded off screen by Michael Myers. A lot of these seem to be off screen, which is kind of an interesting way of doing it for me. Because, like, a lot of the time, I mean, back in the day, you saw it on screen no there's still a lot of off screen stuff I mean yeah I don't know some of them I looked at and I was like that didn't need to be off screen but okay um, number four is Kevin's father he he gets his neck st- snapped off of screen all you see is like him sitting in a chair and his head's at like a 90 degree angle backwards <laughs> it's a little gross Kind of reminded me of Freaky when Homeboy gets the bottle shoved out his throat. A little bit. Um, then Kevin, who gets his naps, his his naps necked, his neck snapped by Michael Myers. And he's like a baby boy. That's so sad. Yeah, he's a kid. Um, there's a dog that is hung from a tree off screen by Michael Myers. That is in a deleted scene. You're not actually, you don't see it unless you own the movie. Um, which you know, ugh, so shitty. Then you get the un, uh, unnamed mechanic who is beaten to death by Michael Myers with a rubber mallet and the unnamed cashier who this was one of the coolest scenes, I think, just because of the way that like you see him. Uh, but the unnamed cashier, his jaw was ripped open off screen by Michael Myers and you just see his head like laying on a desk and his whole mouth is just wide open. All I can think of is the King Kong movie where he fights the T-Rex. <laughs> the T-Rex. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Think of that. I'm pretty sure that's probably what happened roughly. Um, but it's a cool, it's a cool look. Then you get, uh, number nine is Aaron Corey, who is bashed into a door numerous times by Michael. This is the, uh, podcaster, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the female podcaster, Dana Haynes, gets her neck snapped by Michael Myers. There's a lot of neck snapping in this before he gets a, um, tool. <laughs> <laughs> number 11 is Gina Poncello? I think she's beaten to death by Michael Myers with a hammer. 
Number 12 is Andrea Wagner. She's stabbed in the throat by Myers uh, with a kitchen knife because he finally gets his kitchen knife. Number 13 is Vicky, who is stabbed by Myers with a kitchen knife. Dave is stabbed off, stabbed in the neck off screen by Michael Myers. But this is also, uh, if I remember correctly, this is the one that makes the reference to his old, to, to number one, where he stabs him against the wall, right? Bob. Yeah. 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 That one. Yeah. So they shouldn't have done off screen, I think. No, that one should have been on screen. That should have been like a solid tribute to Bob's murder. Yeah. Because that that's it's such an iconic one for him. Like that's that's one of the deaths that people know most by Michael Myers. Um, so obviously he was pinned to a wall by the knife through his neck. Then Oscar is impaled on the fence by Michael. That part's uh, so sad. The poor kid. Yeah, it's pretty sad, yeah. Um, number 16, Deputy Frank Hawkins, who is stabbed in the throat by Dr. Sertain with a pen knife. So it's like a, it's like a trick pen kind of thing. Um, but this is when you get like the full idea of, oh shit, he's not on our side. I'm hoping that Deputy Hawkins comes back in later movies. Like maybe he just. Yeah, he didn't die. Uh, maybe he just, yeah. he, he was able to be saved or something. That would be, that would be an interesting idea. Then, um, karma's a bitch, because the next one is Dr. Sartain. <laughs> he gets his head stomped on by Michael Myers. So they show that scene, but they don't show Homeboy getting stabbed in the neck against the wall, which... I think it's you... because we've seen that in all the other movies. So they Maybe, wanted to... but it's so iconic. They wanted to pay homage to it without redoing it completely. But I agree. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, number 18 is Officer Richard, who is stabbed in the, or, yeah, he's stabbed in the head off screen by Michael Myers with the, with the knife pen that Dr. Sertain had. Uh, the 19, number 19 is Officer Francis, who is decapitated off screen by Michael Myers. And number 20, yeah, there's 20 deaths in this movie. Number 20 is Ray, Ray Nielsen, who is strangled by Michael Myers with a chain. That sucks. That would have hurt. And then, Shades are not comfortable. Even though we already know the answer, technically at the end of this movie, you could put a question mark by Michael Myers burned to death. <laughs> yeah, question mark. You don't actually know, but you do know. Yeah, we know. But what you was don't. your favorite? So, what was your favorite death? I really liked Doctor Sartain getting his head stomped. I think just because I hate him so much, <laughs> I was just so happy, like you said, to have him just get fucked. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember what her name was. I believe I believe it was Andrea Wagner's death that I think was the, my favorite because that was the one where he comes up behind her as she's looking out her window, at like she's looking out her front her front window and she's like kneeling against the back of a couch, and he grabs the back of her head and she immediately starts screaming, which thank God finally like legit a really good scream, smacks her head against the wood and top of the couch. <laughs> Which stuns her and then stabs her through the throat. And I'm like, oh, that's a fucking cool death. So that was my favorite. I don't know. Was, he he yeah. waited until she was off the phone, too. So Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was very, because uh, he sat behind her for a second as she was looking out the window and then just walked up and just grabbed her, which was, I think, cool. I'm a dark person. I know. <laughs> so we don't have a lot of in-depth research for this movie we've kind of it's very straightforward in all honesty they dispelled all the theories they Mm -hmm. talk about all the previous timelines which parts they want to keep or not and we've pretty much b 
beat Halloween on the head. So, yep. Uh, basically, we have only a couple more things to talk about. And so the first thing I wanted to go over really fast, I screenshotted. <laughs> that sounds weird. Screenshotted. I screenshooted. <laughs> I shotted it. Screenshot. Sure. Nope, that sounds wrong too. I, I don't know. know. I screenshotted the <laughs> files. Screenshotted. There you okay. go. Okay, files. Got it. I screened the shots of. Got it. The files when the podcasters are flipping through the crap oh, that okay. they got. Yeah. They're all super blurry. They did a great job. I was hoping to like be able to read some of the reports. It's way too fucking blurry. Yeah, they go by through. They go through it pretty fast. Uh, one of them is they go through in detail describing Judith Meyer's murder. Mm-hmm. They also kind of change some of the details for this murder. I think in this movie, it says that he attacked her from the behind first, getting her in the neck, and then sh- stabbing her man- maniacally, maniacally mm-hmm. a lot. Stabbed her a fucking mm-hmm. lot, like six yeah. times in the abdomen, twice in the neck. Yeah, and then it kind of redoes the scene from his eyes, but it shows. Her looking at him, and then he, like, looks away and is stabbing her like crazy. So, I think that's a little weird. I wouldn't have had him look away. But, anywho. Uh, So, the first picture is of Judith Myers. It's part of her body, her torso, and they're, like, measuring the stab wounds. Hmm. I can't read any of the words around it. (laughs) The next one is Michael... Uh, with his face in a wall <laughs> they took a picture of his back his hair is super it's like black but it's also cut really short he doesn't have the long hair mm-hmm. um, this file says that Myers did not have heart disease high blood pressure or diabetes so woo-hoo. oh yeah at least he was healthy and that's sort. it also says <laughs> slipped and the the car accident but for and then it's blurry <laughs> I could piece that together. Yeah. No, I can't. No, nope, Somebody I can't. slipped on the blood, and then there was a car, and there was an accident. But who knows? Okay. The next <laughs> photo is, like, those almost stick figure diagrams where they're just marking where the wounds were. Mm-hmm. And it's supposed to be of the two neck wounds to Judith Myers. And then there's another one where it looks like it's supposed to be an autopsy report. Um, Judith Myers did not have a mustache, in case that was something you guys were really concerned about. <laughs> to know, they clearly say mustache. No, no mustache. And it would look terrible anyway. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh no, where did it go? I took. Hold on. Oh, there it goes. Okay. Um, and then under that, it says body temperature was forty degrees Fahrenheit. So I was kind of interested about what that meant about when they did the autopsy or checked her temperature. They should have checked it like when they first got on screen, but right or on scene. But I don't know how that works specifically. But I googled it anyways. Uh, so it says after the heart stops beating, the body immediately starts turning cold. This phase is known as algor mortis and <laughs> the death chill. Mm. Each hour, the body temperature falls about one point five degrees Fahrenheit or 0.83 degrees celsius until it reaches room temperature room temperature is about it's like a regular average room temperature is 20 degrees celsius which is about 68 degrees fahrenheit 
So her body was almost 28 degrees below average room temperature. So it must have been really, really cold in their house. Or this was after she'd been in the fridge. I don't know. <laughs> but her body was... Maybe it was a cold day in... Wait, we're talking about Judith, right? Yes. Yeah. So maybe it was a cold day in October in Illinois, which is very possible, and a window was open. In 78. There you go. See? I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> nope. I'm canon. It happened. The window was open. Yep. Yeah. It was right there. It was cold. Their heater was yeah. broken. They were she having was, sex. They were hot. She was naked. Oh, uh, yeah. She was sweating and naked. Uh, she cooled faster. There you go. There you go. Boom. We did it. We should be forensic scientists. <laughs> <laughs> we're starting a podcast uh, called Forensic Scientists. We just look at things and automatically know what happened. Kind of exactly. like CSI. Miami. At the <laughs> same time. Without circulation to keep it moving through the body, blood starts to pool and settle. Rigor mortis, or a stiffening of the body, sets in about two to six hours after death. Hmm. And then, last little bit, just because it's interesting. While the body as a whole may be dead, little things within bodies are still alive. Skin cells, for example, can be viably harvested for up to 24 hours after death. Wow. Some things that are still alive lead to the putrefaction or decomposition of the body which is where like they get gassy and stinky mm -hmm. and then there's like an overall picture of the box where it shows another stab wound to her clavicle and an original article that says six-year-old kills teen sister in a halloween tragedy and i really wanted to read this article but it's way too blurry and small Oh, bummer. That would be an that would be really interesting to see what it has to say. Just might, like curious of what it like has in it. Play with it on Photoshop and see what I can get out of it. But just looking at it, I can't get anything. Right. And that was all the parts of the file that I could get. And then of course there's the audio of Dr. Loomis and his like sessions or whatever where he's like he's evil. Evil. And some more in-movie details. Dave, who, as we've talked about, was the Bob of this movie. Mm -hmm. He gets a tattoo of 10-31-2018, which is so sad because that ends up being the day of his death. <laughs> but yep. it is meant not to signify the day of his death, but... In a script that was leaked before the movie released, he and Vicky were supposed to, like, lose their virginity to each other on Halloween night. And so he had tattooed that date on his arm as a memory. It's a terrible memory to tattoo on your arm. It's an interesting thing, especially because they were, like, 16. But yeah, still, he was trying to be cute, and then he got murdered. So, yay. Some other in story but also background facts for this movie uh john carpenter and green tried really hard to incorporate things from the original into this one because like we said nostalgia is a strong thing one of the first scenes where you really see a connection between this and the first one is when Allison is sitting in her classroom being taught by J.P. Souls or P.J. Souls. P.J. Souls. I did that, you last, did that last time. <laughs> by P.J. Souls, who played Linda in the original. Which is awesome. I don't know if you actually see her. I think you just hear the voice. But 
Uh, Allison is staring out the window and sees Lori, but in the first one, Lori is in the classroom looking out, and I think she sees Myers, or she thinks she does. She sees no, him. no, she sees him. Yeah, okay. she sees him. Um, there's supposed to be like this connection between both Myers and Lori, kind of have like a blank, ashen type of face. Um, but yeah, they. I liked that though, because I was like, oh, she's gonna see Myers, and then all of a sudden it was her, and I was like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, they. It was you were expecting Myers. No. Yeah, it was cool. Uh, in both scenes, the teacher is talking about something called Frankel's interpretation, which I had tried to find stuff about originally the quote, and I couldn't. But now I know because they actually labeled it in this movie. Hmm. So Frankel, this is like the only research that I did. So we'll go through this fast. Frankel is a celebrated Austrian psychiatrist and Holocaust survivor. His name is Viktor Frankl, and he lived from March 26, 1905 to September 2nd, 1997, and he remains best known for his indispicable, I'm sorry, indispensable 1946 <laughs> psychological memoir, Man Searching, oh my gosh, I need to just go home. Okay. <laughs> you are home. <laughs> I need to go more home. Oh. Um, Okay, the 1946 psychological memoir, Man's Search for Meaning, which is described as being a meditation on what the gruesome experience of Auschwitz taught him about the primary purpose of life, the quest for meaning, which sustained those who survived. For Long title. <laughs> that's not the title, that's what it's about. <laughs> oh, I, I thought that was, okay, that I makes mean, sense, got it. It might be the subtitle, I don't know. <laughs> the way that Would it's be long. Yeah, the way that it's written, it could be. For Frankel, meaning came from three possible sources, purposeful work, love, and courage in the face of difficulty. So that kind of describes Lori. Just saying. There's a lot about him. He is incredibly interesting. And it's so sad, his story, because it's Holocaust and it's all just awful. But yeah. That's so that's where those quotes come from is that whole thing and so they are literally talking about Myers and Lori through those quotes. The bus escape okay. mirrors the opening of Halloween 1 when Dr. Loomis pulls up to Smithgrove and everyone's wandering around. Uh, oh, okay, I understand what you mean now. The Got it. People are all just all the yeah, all the patients chilling. are just wandering. I love how later they're like, "Oh yeah, we found two of the patients holding hands, chasing butterflies down <laughs> the central road." Or nice something. little homage, nice little thing to play. Be like, "Oh, these patients were cute and nice," compared to Myers, yeah. who immediately murders three murdering people back people. to back. Yeah, yeah. So the truck that pulls up to the bus with uh, the little boy and his dad, the, yeah, mm -hmm. Kevin and his dad. So the song that's playing on the radio was made specifically for this movie because it is based off the little tune that Laurie Strode and the shape in the original or that the one that Laurie Strode was singing in the original that she had made up with Nick Can Nick Nick Cannon. Oh Nick Castle. Yeah. <laughs> with Nick Castle because they couldn't afford rights to any songs. Mm -hmm. uh, so they took that and made it into a legitimate song for this movie. It also plays, I think, during the credits. That's pretty cool. In an interview with Digital Spy, Green said, 
that Lori was kind of muttering in the original. They couldn't afford the rights to a song license at the time, so her and John just made up a verse of a song. And it's, quote, But I wish I had you all alone, just the two of us so close to you. And then we had a, this is green talking, (laughs) and then we had a band take that melody and make a big song that's playing on the radio. That's a cool way of doing that. It's very smart. I was going to say, Meyer's at her house in the showdown 40 years in the making. Um, So... If you think it looks familiar, it, it is. It's very familiar. That that house, um, it's it's the same set that they filmed part of the um, original movie at when um, they were recreate or in the part of the movie's recreation of the 1978 ending. So it's uh, it's it's been in this. It's been in the Halloween family. It's a whole time. This whole time. But yeah, so that house that she has built into a fortress of her own. Um, well, it's it, at least that's somewhat of more consistency because it's the same house. It's not the same, same house. It's, it's just, not the same house, but the same set. Yeah, they wanted it to mirror that showdown from the beginning. Yeah. If you look closely at her bedroom, it's literally the exact recreation of the climax from the original film. And, uh, and that was not the original intent, but it's a beautiful example of when financial obstacles can become a creative opportunity, according to Green. When he told Digital Spy that, which is smart. Um, if you don't have enough money, at least you have the same thing. Consistency is key. <laughs> Question mark. Question mark. <laughs> Accidental consistency. Mabel? Ma- Mabel, maybe. And then there's a part where Myers attacks Lori and she's like sent through the window. And then Myers goes to check on her body. She's missing, just like Myers was at the end of the very first movie. Karma's a bitch! Uh, the Myers mask. So we've talked about how pretty much each timeline has kind of had their own mask. Mm-hmm. And if you remember, at the end of the second movie, they hadn't planned on ever doing any more with Michael Myers, so they let right. Dick Warlock, the stuntman who played him, take all of the props and the costume when he left. Terrible idea. Terrible idea. So at one point, Dick Warlock was booked to appear at a haunt that a man named Mark Roberts had built, and they became good friends, and Roberts managed to purchase all of that paraphernalia off of Warlock. And so he has had the original mask, the costume, boot, scalpel, and knife that were used in Halloween 2 this whole time. And you can see a picture of the original mask. It's pretty aged, but... Yeah, I can imagine. Well, it's, the mask that I had at the haunted house didn't last very long, let's be honest. So that thing's been around for 40 years. And then the last thing that I found um, is just kind of... Here, just... It's just kind of... Uh, something to just kind of close out Halloween in general, as far as, like, all the theories and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a article or a paper or something that I found written by Dr. Daniel Anderson on, I'm sorry, in March 2019. And he teaches a range of like literature and film classes as a professor at some university somewhere. Uh, He specializes in like Jewish, Jewish American novels, Flannery O'Connor, Shirley Jackson, and classic horror films. Hmm, interesting. And so this is titled, Who Has a Problem with Evil? Halloween, Fascism, and 
Theodicy? <laughs> Theodicy? I don't know. Theodicy? Uh, Theodicy? Yeah, Theodicy? And I, I just, I plucked out tiny bits and pieces. It's long, it's interesting, and it's kind of upsetting. But, okay. Mm. Um, so, this is a quote. It says, Halloween brings at least three competing approaches to the problem of evil into conflict, and it does so by employing the terrible imagery of fascism. So basically, this Halloween movie, the whole premise is just to show what John Carpenter wanted from the very beginning. Myers is not anything special. He's just evil. Like, he cannot be explained. He can't be fixed. He can't be cured. He's just evil. And that's what this whole paper is about. So, quote, First, there is a commercial and scientific fascination with evil, which understands it as a resource of power or wisdom to be exploited, represented by journalists and psychologists. Next, the film gives voice to a moderate liberal view of the world as essentially good, just in need of competent and caring management. Lori's daughter and son-in-law represent this position. Finally, there is Lori, the survivor of a nightmarish trauma who understands evil to be a metaphysical force that exists beyond logic and human understanding and must simply be destroyed. I would assume that's the same idea that Loomis had, too. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, The film's philosophical exploration of evil is embodied in the difference between Michael's two doctors, where Loomis, as you just said, always Mm. saw Myers as the embodiment of pure, irredeemable evil uh, beyond logic and reason, which is exactly how John Carpenter wanted him to be. Sartain developed a fascination with the shape and devoted his career to tracking its code, it's an interesting way of putting that. Yes. I think Sartain represents a lot of what, like, the true crime obsession nowadays that's mm-hmm. happening. That makes sense. Yeah. So, in short, Sartain views Michael Myers as an opportunity to understand the nature of evil and over time develops a deep fascination, imagining him as a source of deep wisdom. Hmm. The movie bursts at its seams with visual connections to Nazis, far-right hate groups, and indeed the Holocaust itself. The most obvious reference to such matters is a glimpse into a class about Viktor Frankl's Man's Searches for Meaning, which we kind of discussed. The scene is one of several prominent quotations from Carpenter's original film, referring to and inverting the scene in the original, where young Laurie, in a class about the nature of fate, looks out the window to see the silent, ghastly figure of Myers, blah, 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 blah. So we get that part. Her teacher summarizes Frankel saying fate took a different course I understand how someone who has nothing left in the world may still know bliss at this moment in the 2018 movie Allison looks out the window sees Laurie and uh, so stepping into Michael's place in the scene she bears the pain he inflicted furthermore her ashen appearance serves to undermine the optimistic worldview presented in Frankel's famous yet controversial work The quote the teacher reads out of context is also a partial one. The full sentence reads, I understand how a man who has nothing left in this world may still know bliss, be it only for a brief moment in the contemplation of his beloved. With the quotation fully intact, Frankl's philosophy is clearer. People can find meaning in suffering by fixating on an object of love, which is what Laurie did. Um, She tried to survive her pain by focusing her energies on saving her daughter or like protecting her daughter for a long time Mm -hmm. Uh, and Hmm. then 
that's all I pulled from it. It goes on into great detail about a parallel between Nazis and Myers. But it's interesting. It's a really interesting read and it sums this movie up pretty well, I think. Hmm. Cool. And that's it for Halloween twenty eighteen. I almost did the Jaws theme song for some reason. Because it has nothing to do with Halloween. But. It is September after all. And you know what we like to do? In new months? Well, we like to give you horror of that month. Woohoo! This one's fairly short, so we'll get through it fairly quickly. In September in horror movies. September 1941, Frederick, a.k.a. Freddy Krueger, is born. And he is put in the abusive care of Mr. Underwood. Um, Let's remember that his... He is Freddy Krueger is born in very sad ways. September twentieth, nineteen sixty one. Lori Myers is born. I have a question. Yeah, is the origin story of Freddy Krueger its own movie? No, they don't have a full origin story of like his, like that itself of like what he came from, but they do pay tribute to it in one of the movies that I can't think of all of a sudden but they do explain to you that like his mom was a nun and was raped by all these inmates and that's how he came of being such a horrible person gotcha Uh uh-huh uh September 20th 1961 Lori Myers aka Lori Strode is born September 5th 1981 Claire Rivers Claire Rivers is that supposed to be Claire I don't know I literally copied and pasted it over okay well I'm gonna assume it's supposed to be Claire but it says clear uh Something Rivers is born to Mr. and Mrs. Rivers. Uh, September 25th, 1982, Alex Browning is born to Barbara and Ken Browning. And then September uh, 1986, the events of Freddy's Revenge occur. This is uh, uh, this is also when we think the events of Freaky also occur, or in October. We're not exactly sure. Yeah, they don't make that very clear. <laughs> no. Uh, September 12th and 13th in 1990, it's the event... It's the it's the events is the events the events of the, we're really Heaps. we are on top of our shit today we're so good at this we're lucky it's a short episode uh the events of jason lives occur there you go and then september 2003 2003 is the events of freddy vs jason and that is fucking that that movie will always be on the top of my favorite movies of horror because it's so damn good it's the only time I'll ever say that I actually like Jason. Because I really, I, again, I'm so against Friday the 13th. But Freddy vs. Jason, such a cool movie. And we will be doing it at some point because it's one of my favorites. But that sums up the uh, September horrors in movie. Hor- horror. September. We still haven't come up with a classic name for this. Yeah, so if you have sorry. One, let us know. Horror events in September. There you go. And <laughs> you know what would happen if you... Gave us some titles for this section of our episodes. Oh, I know what will happen. I know what will happen. Can I, can I answer? Yes, ma'am. You're getting entered into our raffle more and you'll get more easier options to win. So you should, uh, you should go comment and tell us what you think we should call that feature. And you could email us or Mm -hmm. whatever you want. We are also accepting cat photos and things like that. Yes. Yeah. All, all acceptable. I posted a kind of a breakdown on our social media, which you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at horror underscore cats underscore witch hats. 
you can email all those really cool responses for like plus five entries at poor cats witch hats at gmail.com it is all one word so there you go <laughs> and otherwise uh subscribe yeah. give us five stars listen in go watch lost boys that's our next episode yeah there you go now we're giving you a heads up it's a great movie i love this movie have you seen it never seen it never even heard of it oh, what when you this said... is one of the most iconic iconic ones where you're gonna hear you're eating maggots michael <laughs> never heard of it i oh. when you said lost boys it sounds like it should be like a uh rob not robin hood fuck what's his name peter pan movie nope it's so, a vampire movie but i'm excited to watch it it has the best saxophonist on stage he's one of he's actually like a really great saxophonist and they paid a lot to get him in that movie fun it, fact it's a different kind of horror that we haven't done before which is why katie selected it so i figured we hadn't done vampires vampires would be a good track from all the stuff that we have done and it's also a great iconic movie that a lot of people know of because it's it's a good one fair warning it's not streaming anywhere so nope, good sorry luck. but until next you can find time. you can find it at like fye for like two bucks <laughs> i'm not joking that's the sad part listen we don't do promotions and ads and we haven't until begged, we get sponsors we haven't begged for money yet so i don't have money for fye if it's on YouTube, I'll find it. <laughs> fair. I, I bet you can find it. And... There you go. That was it. <laughs>